All right. Okay. We're we're a week in. You know, you got to say you enjoyed it at least a little bit, right? I did. At least I was able to see Razor Ramon. I am wondering if somehow the WWF and WCW had themes tied together, but I am heartbroken that I wasn't able to see my favorite WWF champion, Shawn Michaels, go on a week of Raw doing his thing on the television screen. You may have missed Shawn Michaels, but you got Steve Dahl, man. Come on, man. Mr. Beverly Hills, I am not a man. I am not a tree. I'm not even a parked car, dude. I am a dirty dog. I am the dirty dog. Hey, dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, Event Status Radio. They're recording again. Aha. Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Recorded live in Asheville, North Kakalaki. Recorded live in Asheville Civic Center. We're here to make your back crack, your liver quiver, and your knees freeze. Because this is 400 plus pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Known as Made Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog, Darcy... (laughs) Joining me, as always, is my broadcast partner in crime, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. Beverly, what's happening this week? Oh, man, not much. I am gearing up for next week is a big week for me because it's the last week of summer school. And then I get three free weeks before I start back with real school. Well, well, well. School's <laughs> out for three weeks. Yeah, right. That's well, well, well. Oh, well. Summer school's fine. It's a good It's a good bump to my paycheck. So. If, you, if it makes you feel any better, Mr. Beverly Hills, your three weeks off this summer is more vacation. There's more days off than I get for my... Th- time off and for my holiday pays yeah but as one of my colleagues said try to make teachers work year-round and see how the education system works it wouldn't be go too well i'm paid enough of my tax enough of my tax money goes to you guys gorilla yeah i don't want to pay anymore yep yeah you're you're right Mm -hmm. you're totally right what can i say daddy yeah you're you're making a lot of sense right now so what are we doing this week (laughs) we are on now question mark when this it well yeah when this is on the network it says june 2nd on history of wwe it says the third um 
I can look up what day of the week this was. Somebody has it funky. Yeah, I know the. I think it's like some week Wikipedia page. I usually check my results on this. They say it's June third as well. Okay, well, June third was a Wednesday. Oh, 1996. <laughs> I put 1998. <laughs> oh. Yeah, June 2nd was a Sunday. It definitely wasn't on a Sunday. So, so we're going to go with the third. Come on, WWE Network. Come on, WWE Network. I guess they need some of our tax dollars, huh? Yeah, I guess. Well, they already get, they already get enough money, in mind. Plus, you're a renter. You don't even pay property taxes. Whatever, Beverly. Zero dollars of your money goes to the education system. Zero dollars. Do not insult the producer, Jack, when you drink your Diet Mountain Dew. Truth is truth. Well, I hate your truth. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You you can if you want, but real is real. Anyways, this is a Monday, June 3rd, 1996 edition of WCW Monday Nitro, episode 38. Yes, we're coming from the Asheville Civic Center. Asheville Civic Center built in 1974. It has hosted many notable musical acts over the years. Lots of, you know, country artists, the the WCW deal. They um, were host to the Asheville Altitude. (laughs) <laughs> the Asheville, that's a basketball team, yeah. the Asheville Aces, which are a hockey team, the Asheville Smoke, which was a hockey team, uh, and now, not much. <laughs> I was going to say, I am sad they never lined up the greatest band ever, Beverly Hills, and that is the, the Asheville the Asheville. Beverly Bodies. Oh, the greatest rock and roll band is the the fabulous Freebirds. If you watched in the early nineteen nineties, WCW, boom, boom. that's boom, always what they boom, that's boom. always what they said when they'd be announced. So, so we are yes in the Asheville at this time Civic Center now called the U.S. Cellular Center, um, and we start with the. The classic, classic Nitro opening. But, but before we do Beverly Hills, okay. as typical on the podcast, I had to quote my Roku box. Oh, yeah. For this edition of Monday Nitro, episode 38, from June 3rd, 1996, my Roku box from the network claims, and I quote, the newest WCW invader promises a big surprise for Eric Bischoff and Stan next week. Stan a Lux Luger battle the Steiner Brothers, unquote. That was their rundown for WCW Monday Nitro for this edition of the podcast. Now I'll kick it back to you, Beverly Hills. All right, so Tony starts and he says, You are where intensity and excitement reign. Heck yeah. Yes, I like it. Intensity and excitement reign here on WCW Nitro. I like it when my excitement reigns down on me, Beverly Hills. (laughs) I guess I think he means, like, prevail, not, like, precipitation. Yeah, then uh, obviously, as like we talked about last week, Larry Zabisco is his color commentator. Man, Larry's outfit this week. 
he's got a checkerboard shirt or sorry, checkerboard tie. And then his shirt is a checkerboard, same colors, black and white, but in like a different pattern. So it's just like, oh, my eyes are running circles trying to get a hold of Larry Zabisco's outfit in this one. Think of it. People, friends of mine in college thought uh, told me I had a bad a bad sense of uh, a, I guess a bad wardrobe. Oh, uh, I feel sorry for you. That's uh, I would not agree with that, but okay. go ahead. I was just going to ask who has a worse wardrobe, Larry Zabisco or the Dirty Dog? Well, I never saw you wearing such clashing things. I I feel like if anything, you know, you you kept it very kind of like down the road, and you down the middle of the road, and you still do. I would not say that you have a a poor sense of style in any way. So Larry Sabisco is a worse commentator than the Dirty Dog Darcy. He's a worse dresser. I don't know if he's a worse commentator. He's certainly a worse dresser, though. True. I have not thrown my head <laughs> in to try to commentate anything quite yet. But I, but I guess I would say, you know. You would have to do a lot to be worse than him. Like you, you right now having never commentated, so you're like at level zero. Ooh, level zero. He's, he's like way in the negative. So <laughs> right now you're a better commentator. So yes, I will agree with you. I w- I love the fact that I can be a Dave Meltzer's famous dud for color commentator <laughs> as the way it is now. Yeah, and but Larry Zabisco is the famous Brian Alvarez. Negative five stars. Ooh, go Larry Zabisco. <laughs> so Tony and Larry run down the card, and man, I felt like this rundown, this was like a three-minute rundown of what's gonna happen. Yeah, I surely, um, surely felt like it was a three-minute rundown. Yeah, it it took a long time. Like they and I I don't know. I'm like torn on whether I like it or not like it's nice that we're not just kind of like thrown in it's nice that we're you know it a lot of people say like sorry a lot of people say that when you watch a television show you should especially like a wrestling television show you should be able to have never watched the product before and you're right in and I feel like with this rundown, you could be. You know, I don't think you need a ton of, like, primer. But at the same point, you have to think about the people who have watched the last 40 episodes that are like, oh, my gosh, I get it. I get what uh, Big Bubba did to the shark. I get Flair and the Horseman. Please, let's get to the show. So but I don't know. What was your thought? I guess I liked it compared to, you know, wrestling nowadays, but I can see where you're coming from on if, if they could cut it down, a, a, you know, cut shavings off, a, I guess, each thing that they talk about, try to shave yeah. off a 30 seconds or so, minute yeah. off of what they were talking about. That's cool. I'm with that. I'm with that. Okay, so after their rundown here, I'll kick it to you for what happens next. Well, I did write, down, you know, also yeah, they talked about the tag team title match that we'll see later on in the in the night. Uh, Bobby is rumored to be Arn Anderson and Rick Flair's manager at the Great American Bash pay-per-view, and Larry Sabisco went all philosophical about that and such. Then, <laughs> then they sent it to... Oh, he went on a long, rambling rant about that. Then they, then we sent, or we got sent to Mina. Woo! Gene, who is standing at the 
at, at the entrance ramp waiting to talk to his first interviewee for the night, Shark. Yep. And and Shark comes out. Oh, and by the way, yeah, it, you can see that Kevin Sullivan and Big Baba are already in the ring. Yeah. You, you can kind of see that. So Shark comes out, and it's really funny because he comes out, and he's, like, shuffling down the ramp so that you only see the one side of his face. <laughs> Did you notice that he yeah, he yeah. definitely yeah he does he like doesn't turn so he's kind of like shuffling yeah because he he doesn't want to uh, also doesn't want to spoil what he wanted to talk about in his promo right yeah Gene goes I'm physically sick and he but he's laughing at the shark <laughs> poor shark yes poor shark indeed so you want to say what shark said that shark talked about yeah, talked about that he. Uh, well, he asked to uh, have his music be cut off, and Shark said he refuses to cut off the ha- other half they hear that wasn't cut from Big Bubba the week before because he wants to remember the embarrassing moment of when Big Bubba cut off his hair. That every day when he goes out to get check get the newspaper and all that, his neighbors laugh at him and all that. He wa- he wants Shark wants Bubba to feel the embarrassment he felt last week, and this was a famous promo that I had to ask Artie Reynolds two weeks ago about mm-hmm. about Shark's in that he's not a fish, he's not an avalanche, he's not a shark, he's a man, John Tenta. Yep, I'm a man. I'm John Tenta, a five hundred pound man. Now that is one scary of a man, Mister Beverly Hills. Yeah, I okay. I I really obviously really like John Tenta. I feel like they could have, I don't know, dressed him differently because like he kind of just kind of looks like schlubby, and like I know he's not like he's a badass. I would I don't know what they could have like put him in to not make him kind of look like Rolly. At least change up the color scheme of his uh, trunks or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Black, they always see as slimming, so maybe that could have been it. I don't know. At least so something we- different, yeah. You are where intensity and excitement reign. You are tuned in to TNT Live for two hours of WCW Monday Nitro and the superstars of WCW World Championship Wrestling. This is where. and the living legend Larry Zabisco in this telecast. The big main event that we're all waiting for later on tonight for the world tag team title. Lex Luger and Sting against the Steiner brothers and, of course, some friction last week between all four men right here on TNT. Well, you know, all the critics that point their finger at Lex Luger can just put him away. This is an overzealous reaction by the Steiner brothers Two guys, big tough guys, but they lack emotional control, Tony. It's the Steiner's fault. Rick Flair and Arn Anderson in this telecast here tonight against the return of the Rock and Roll Express. Rumors abound that Bobby the Brain Heenan will be Flair and Arn's manager at the Great American Bash against McMichael and Green. And what about that? Well, look at my face. I mean, you got Rick Flair, master player of human chess. 
Surrounding him is an endomorphic cyborg enforcement unit named Arn Anderson. And if they lend the gray matter power of Bobby the Brain, it would be like having Joe Montana in their corner. Last week on this television program, as you saw, Shark was going up against Giant. You're seeing right here the victim of a choke slam and then the victim of a brutal hair cutting at the hands of Big Bubba. Not only did he cut his hair, he shaved half of his head. And that's going to lead us to our opening battle on this two-hour edition of WCW Monday Nitro. And with that in mind, let's take you right now to our colleague, Mean Gene Okerlund, standing by with Shark. Gene? All right. Uh, as a matter of fact, he is coming out right now. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, at well over 500 pounds, this is the shark. the music that is the order of shark take a look up in the ring big bubba must have the remnants of your hair that had to be shark one of the most disgusting one of the most despicable actually making me physically sick to my stomach and only half a haircut <laughs> it is a little different i must say that there's a reason there's a reason why i'm not shaving the other half off what is that sir Every morning I get up, I have to look in the mirror. I relive the embarrassment. I go get my mail. The neighbors are laughing. I relive the embarrassment. Well, Shark, I got to tell you this. You take a look at what Big Bubba did to you. That's Hold on a second. What? I'm not the shark. I'm not a fish. I'm not an avalanche. I'm a man. John... Tanta, a 500-pound man. I'm going to hurt the man that did this to me, and then I'm going to shave the head of the giant, and he'll feel the embarrassment I felt. Uh, no oh. pun intended, but Chuck, now, that would be a mighty tall order. Tony, Larry, guys, let's get back to you. How about that, Larry Zabisco? John Tenta. <laughs> So we go right into a John Tenta Big Bubba match here. Yeah, like you said, Big Bubba and Jimmy Hart were already in the ring. Oh, so. yeah, Jimmy Hart. Sorry, yeah. I said Kevin Sullivan. So we, have, so we get the first opening bell that uh, yeah, John Tenta runs, well, I guess, waddles his way into the ring to start out the match. And Big yes. Bubba had a pair of scissors in, in his hands in the ring. Yep, but Tenta took over right away with a big scoop slam right away. And meanwhile, Tony tells us that uh, if you were reading, I don't, if you were reading the USA Today ad that they take out, which why do they take out an ad in USA Today? It's so random, but and they do it all the way until like two thousand one. But if you were reading the USA Today ad and you wanted to see Johnny B. Bad or Vader, they don't work here anymore. <laughs> well, because if I remember correctly, right around this time, Vader was already on. WWF Television was entering his uh, SummerSlam feud with Shawn Michaels, wasn't he? That's that sounds. Didn't he debut at the '96 Rumble? I think 
Yeah, that's so. Then he definitely would have been. Yeah. And Mark Merrow debuts right around this time. Summer of '96 is when he debuts. Yeah, because Austin Austin won the '96 King of the Ring, right? Yeah. Then yeah, then yeah, because I remember Merrow was one of the competents that Steve Austin had during the '96 King of the Ring. So both guys were already on the competing wrestling program. Yeah, how long how long of a lead time do they have on these USA Today ads? Are they doing them like a year prior? Because if so, then I don't know if I'd I'd sign up for that. But anyways, this really this really is kind of a non match. All we get really is this big scoop and slam and and when Bubba gets knocked down, Tenda goes for the scissors and uh chases him which which really sends Bubba to the hills and, yeah, and for so a countdown. So the winner is John Tenta. I had to rate this match a half of a skillet. <laughs> I gave this just a no rating. This it, it was more just an angle than anything. It's really just one move, so this one's going to be a no rating for me. Because I wanted to ask you, Mr. Beverly Hills, What's why up? doesn't Tenta get disqualified for trying to attack Bubba with those scissors? Uh, yeah, you'd think so. That's like a real weapon. Like, that's no chair. That's no... I don't know, magic tape, which we'll see later. Like, it's a real one. But whatever. Ask Vince Russo. Ask, I mean, uh, Eric Bischoff. What you going to do, Sid? Get your scissors. He should have asked that to John Tenta instead. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah, we go and go to a commercial and come back and 20 plugs to actions that we'll see later in the second hour and all that. You know, no point of us talking more about it since we already talked mm-hmm. about it. At the beginning, beginning of the podcast, mm-hmm. so we get our next match, yes. high voltage, known as Ruckus and Chaos, yes. taking on probably the tag team of Mid Event Status Radio, <laughs> the Faces of Fear, Barbie and Meng. Yeah, in 1996, I loved high voltage. I don't know, you know, nine-year-old Mr. Beverly Hills, like their I, I don't even know why. I think it was because they were, like, very energetic. And, like, you know, they're, like, big, strong guys. So I don't know. But, man, in 1996, I was such a huge High Voltage fan. So you, like, were, so you were amped on High Voltage. I was. Like, I would I would think of, like different words that like if i was in high voltage like what my name would be like i don't i can't remember any off the top of my head was it was could one of them be beverly hills no not really that doesn't really go with like the high voltage theme (laughs) but yeah so this is kind of like a clash of 1996 Beverly Hills and 2015 Beverly Hills because, you know, loving High Voltage then and as you alluded to, loving Faces of Fear now. And this match was amazing. And just a random thought I had. Yes. How, what, how apropos would Nitro be having the first two matches dealing with members of the Dungeon of Doom? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, they were featured players, so... Yeah, well, I, I just thought that was kind of funny. I just thought of it that, you know, Big Bubba was part of the part of the Dungeon of Doom. Shark was a former member, then obviously the Faces of Fear were, were members of Dungeon of Doom. Right on, right on. 
So Chaos and Barbarians start off quick, and Barbarians just beating the ever-loving crap out of Chaos here. Uh, he chases Ruckus out. Ruck, Ruckus, by the way, how long? Do you know how long Ruckus lasted before they changed into Rage? I have no clue. How okay, long? yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I was, I was, I was literally confused. So. Well, I was confused too, since I in my notes I just have high and voltage as the guys' names because I don't know who who is who and who is what. So in my notes I put down like. High taken voltage, voltage taken high, so whatever. Robbie Rage is the dark haired one and Kenny Chaos is the blonde one. Okay, thank you. So so Ruckus got in the ring and he ate a double hip toss and then he ate a power bomb. Um we get like a really kind of nice instance of uh wrestling racism as Larry goes you know, the faces of fear aren't many generations removed from their ancestors eating people. I'm like, oh, that thing, good good one. Yep, you're right, Larry, yep. Well, if you're going to quote Larry, I think right on that time, uh, Barbie hit a pump handle slam, I believe, to Ruckus. Mm-hmm. And Tony, yeah, it was a nice pump handle front slam, yeah. And Tony proclaims, and I quote, a pickup and... Slam! Unquote. Right on. So Tony Schiavone. So then, so then, yo, that's what he did. I don't know why that's so bad. He did pick him up and slam him. It just remind is a reminiscent to Vince McMahon on the play-by-play booth. Sure. Sure. Anyways, so so more just a lot, just awesome power moves from the Faces of Fear. Barbarian hit. A top row belly to belly suplex. On you know, Rage and Chaos are huge guys, and Barbarian just like flings them from the top rope. Uh, then they hit their double flying headbutt and a super kick, which can also be called a mafia kick. That's what Tony calls it. And that's what finishes them off for the three. Yeah, because as you said, when the when the faces of fear flew off, did the diving headbutt. Tony also proclaimed that they flew, quote, from the heavens, unquote. <laughs> so the winners are the faces of fear, and I'd rate this match the Golden Gates of Heaven. Since they flew from the heavens. Okay, how many stars are the Golden I, Gates of Heaven? I, I guess if I'd actually. Rate this match star wise, I'd probably say about maybe one and one and a half. Okay, I went two and a quarter because I thought that this is about as impressive as a squash match can be. Well, yeah, because I you know mentioned in my notes that this was a you know pretty good squash match for the faces of fear, and you know I felt kind of somewhat bad for high voltage since I guess this was their first their nitro debut. Right, but I feel like you know the faces of fear, I guess <laughs> gave. Uh, gave high voltage more than what normal jobbers get in a squash match. Oh, they didn't give them anything, man. Did what, you? Did whatever. they even get a? Did they even get a strike in? I'm scanning my notes. I don't see. I didn't take. Well, I don't know. They take much notes for this match anyway. But I didn't write anything down if they did. No, it was a pretty straight squash. But it was like everything that they hit looked awesome, and uh, 
just that it was such a good showcase for the faces of fear. I think it either speaks a lot about the faces of fear or speaks a lot about high voltage. Either you know, for the faces of fear, they're able to also hit awesome, powerful maneuvers that makes it look devastating, or the or a high voltage are good sellers. I think it might be a little bit more the first than the second. Yeah, I mean, because just when you look at the moves that barbarian and ming were doing they were kind of just like having their way you know what i mean like it wasn't like high voltage were selling like strikes or moves like that like barbarian ming were legitimately hitting them in the face and then when they were doing moves they were just throwing them around so i mean i don't know if there's a lot of really selling involved I, i would say that it was definitely more on the uh the face of fear side. I, I just want to say that like this point in WCW, if they would have like wanted to, they could have had such an amazing tag team division. You know, these two, if they would have committed Flair and Anderson as a tag team, um, Blue Bloods, Steiners, Eventually, you know, the Invaders are going to form a team here. Fire and Ice. Fire and Ice, of course. You know, that's holding down kind of the middle middle of the card with, like, the kind of uh, the blue blood level. I think they, you know, if they would have wanted to, they would have had an amazing tag team division. But, you know, tag team, I don't know. It's like it's hard to book a tag team division because it seems like all that happens is like one team wins a bunch of matches to face the champions, then either they win or they lose, and then the next team comes up. And that's the same style that like WWE does now. And I just don't know why that has to be, but Fair enough. that's always how it is. And I wanted to ask, to me, the Faces of Fear, with this match against High Voltage, has a lot of similarities to, I guess, a modern-day Brock Lesnar match. Okay, throwing, I see it. You know, throwing people around, you know, showing the awesome power spots, like I said, Barbie doing the overhead belly-belly from the top rope. Just feats of strength like that, I guess, gives me flashbacks, or I guess flash-forwards to a Brock Lesnar match nowadays. Yeah, sure, they they kind of are in the same style, yeah. So I guess it would be awesome if, let's say, a, a current-day uh, Brock Lesnar in the let's say in the '96 version of of uh, Faces of Fear could somehow time travel together and be like in the same promotion and be like a a three man power group together. Just how yeah, that'd be, I think that'd be yeah. an awesome, scary three man group <laughs> that I would not even want to me- think about messing with. Yeah, that'd be a pretty badass trio for sure. So then, yeah, then after the match, Tony sends us backstage. The take team champions, Luke Ernstein, who is with Mean, Wu, Gene, and uh, Mean Gene, uh, first sent it to uh, talk to Luger and all that. And how uh, you know, Luger was mentioned about uh, that he might not, or uh, I'm, I'm excited. Gene said that Luger might not have much left after the take team match tonight to go on at the Great American match against, against the giant, challenging the giant for the world title. Mm-hmm. He says he doesn't all. He doesn't like that he's always painted as the bad guy. Then I know the Luger and Steen talked a little bit about from what happened the week before, but I didn't take any notes about what okay. Lois said then. Yep. So Sting 
was talking about what happened last week, and he basically set up the Steiner's argument. He's like, they would say that you came out and you were getting involved. And I said, Sting, you're a bad friend. You shouldn't... If you're friends with Luger, don't tell him the bad stuff he's doing. Sting's a bad friend. So then the, the Steiners walked in, and I guess you can... Yeah, well, yeah, I agree with you that Sting's a bad friend. And the, Steiners, <laughs> the Steiners ran, ran in, and, and you know, they defended their arguments and all that. Prince agreed with Sting and all that. And everybody got hot about what was what was happening. And Mean Gene, was, which was a rare instance, Mean Gene uh, yelled a little bit, which I never remember hearing Mean Gene really yell like that before. And they all scuffled and laughed. All right, the big main event still to come, Sting and Luger against the Steiner brothers. With that in mind, we take you back to the locker room area. Uh, one and only, Mean Gene Okerlund. Gene? Tony, Larry, thank you very much, gentlemen. Inside two weeks, we're away from the Great American Bash in Baltimore on Sunday, June the 16th. Both of these gentlemen have major commitments at that spectacular. However, the question is, Lex Luger, after tonight, what's going to be left of you? You've got the Steiners tonight. Heads up on what we saw last week. Really, I think, uh, some kind of an indication what we can expect tonight. Um, the intensity level in the last week was definitely very high, Gene. Steiner Brothers, myself, Take, take a look what happened here last week, Mike. Go it turned into a free-for-all. Are we talking about some footage here? Yes, that's for? it. Yes, here What it is. this footage demonstrates is that things got way out of hand. And what I'm saying is, and that, as you can see in that footage, the Steiner Brothers, two-on-one on me. I came down to cheer for my friend in a very important match, Sting involved in a big match. Steiner came down and things get out of hand. I'm always painted as the bad guy in all these scenarios. Hopefully, we've had a week, cooler heads will prevail. Now, Stinger? I don't know, Sting, if Le cooler Lex, heads are going to prevail. i got to be honest with you. Lex, I know what the Steiner's argument is going to be to this whole situation because all the footage wasn't shown here. There was a time where Scotty had me set up for a suplex out on the floor, the hey. cement floor, that is, and you kicked him in the gut. That's going to be their argument. Well, that, that you did you actually, you provoked them if you want to I do want to say something here. Steiner Brothers and I, we go way back. We go back how many years? Eight years? A long time. We're all very competitive. Tonight is a huge match. We're talking about the WCW World Tag Team titles. Indeed. Last week was a big match for both of you guys. Big reputations on the line. Mm -hmm. I was down there, but let me tell you this, Stinger. If you guys are such good friends, I'm standing there watching... And Scotty Steiner picks you up over his head on the floor. There's a suplex on the floor. The friends do that to friends. Hey, hey, just, just a second here. Wait a minute. Hey, gentlemen. gentlemen. What I want to know is why you kicked my brother and pushed him back in. Hey, there's, there's a time That's and a place. That's a cheap shot. That is a cheap shot. And the friends suplex somebody on the floor. Let me ask you that. My brother was trying to win. Hey, on the floor. I was trying to win, too. The, the bottom line is if Lex was going to get suplexed by anybody on the floor, I might have to kick somebody in the gut, too. So I don't know if that's such a cheap shot. Hey, well, I minute. guess that's what's going to happen. If you stick your nose in today and cheap shot it, that's what is going to happen. You know me, Gene, I took this match with Sting last week for tonight to wrestle for the tag team titles. And Lex Luger, you get remains from me. No, I'm pointing at you right hey, now. Hey, I'm going to point at you right now. Please, I'm going to jack you in the ring if you get me hot. I knew this would happen. No. We're trying to have an interview here. Number one, you barge into our locker room and you start talking trash. 
You guys had a match last week? You thought you had something last week? Well, let me tell you, Scotty, it's going to get a lot more intense this hey, week. Hey, you hey, guys! Hey, hey, wait a minute! Wait just a second, gentlemen! Turn on my little pistol and that! Get up! We're going to cut you off the air! I will never interview you people again if you're going to come in here like a bunch of... I just can't believe this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that gives you some kind of an idea the level of intensity between these four men pushing, shoving, and verbally abusing each other. That will be part of WCW Monday Nitro later tonight. Head on the Steiners and Luger and Sting. Tony, let's get back to you and Larry. Yeah, as as Sting or as the as the Steiners come in, they're like, "You guys, you guys aren't being our friends." And Sting goes, "Do friends suplex friends on the floor?" Which I thought was funny. <laughs> And then Rick Steiner, they showed Luger, like, stopping the, the floor suplex. And Rick Steiner goes, that's a cheap shot. That's a cheap shot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, you, you said Gene kind of lost his cool a little bit. And he goes, I will never interview these people again. <laughs> it, it, it just made me, it made me laugh. I appreciated mm-hmm. that. Then we, <laughs> then we see another video package of Hogan laying out the giant with the steel chair. And we didn't ta- really talk about it much last week. Because we, we were confused on wordings of each other when we were talking about it. But what's your thoughts on the video package that we saw from last week with Hogan and the video package we saw this week of Hogan? And just giving the fans a taste of what Russell, what WCW was like when Hulk Hogan was around. Well, I talked about the one last week because that's when we got Shaq and yeah. all, the, all the other celebrities. So I already talked about that one. Um, and actually this one I think we'll talk about later. Because okay. this isn't the long clip. That yeah. one's uh, yeah, towards the end of the show. Okay, remind me to talk more about that when we get to it later on in the show because I don't think I put that in my notes. Right Any, anyway. Yeah, because this is, this is like a three-second one. The one later is like two minutes. Okay, yeah. So... Remind me to talk about it when we get to that. <laughs> so barely it's long enough. And I want to I wanna mention, I have disco fever. Right on. He's so cocky. He's so cool. He's just a disco dancing fool. I loved disco back then. <laughs> I love disco now. I still love his theme song. It's, it is a great theme song. When he was coming out, they showed this lady trying to do like the hand wave, you know, <laughs> but she's, she's going like, I, I, it's, this is a very visual one, but like she can't do the wave part. She just is like moving her arms back and forth. It is so good. I'm like, oh my gosh, this lady, she doesn't know how to do it at all. Then they show uh, a gentleman in the audience who's wearing a gangsta shirt from ECW. Or I guess at this time it's probably from Smoky Mountain of New Jack and Mustafa. And I'm like, this is a great juxtaposition. The gangsta's. And then this guy's disco dancing. So I was like, this is great. <laughs> you know, this match is just going for no take on Sergeant Craig Pittman with Teddy Long. And with I, fat Teddy Long. I, and I had to have to ask Mr. Beverly Hills. Now, I guess we kind of – we both gave our thoughts on the disco character. I guess is disco a Nettie's version of the honky-tonky man? Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah Definitely. I, I think that's exactly what they were going for. I think they were thinking um, the Honky Tonk Man was uh, a generation, you know, past 
the popularity of the music he was doing and he got heat for it. So what can we do, you know, in 1995, 1996? Well, disco. So that's a great, no, yeah, it's exact. It's like the cut from the exact same cloth. And in my notes, I put down WCW main event show was still around. Did they talk about, talk about that show? Mm-hmm. It must have if I put it in. Um, they talked about um, Regal slapping Sting. Austin, yeah, I guess I was surprised that WCW main event was still around. So, yeah, and, and as noted, noted in the series, I guess in previous series in the podcast, I had to take note of Disco's tights. White tights, black lettering on his butt saying Monday Nitro Fever. I think it just said Mon- Monday Night Fever. Or either way, yeah, it just made me laugh. So, <laughs> right on. Anyways, so so Larry, I just a quick like because I hate Larry. Whatever he wants to sh- pretend like he's smart, but the you know the saying coup de gras, which yes. means like the final blow. Larry said coup de gras, like <laughs> coupe de ville. And I'm like, Larry, you're such an idiot. Like, he thinks he's so smart. Oh, I'm the whatever, the living legend. I'm the smartest man. Oh, I hate hate Larry Zbysko as a commentator. I guess that's one thing I hate about, I guess, in everyday life, that when people try to use big words and all that, trying to make themselves seem smarter, I just (laughs) hate that. (laughs) Sure. As the main event listeners can, uh, can attest, you hate that too. I, I'm not a fan. No, I'm I'm not a fan of that. Look up the pronunciation. Look up how to do it correctly, and then you can start using it. Fair enough. Is I guess my thought. I'm not against people expanding their vocabulary, but don't you don't falsely expand your vocabulary if it's not really a word you use or really a word that you know how it's used. Is let's, my thought. Let's see if this goes goes by rather smoothly. Larry Sabisco. In words of the great song, don't you forget about me in in the respect to the vocabulary lessons of Mr. Beverly Hills. Right on. So Pitbull, I, I, I like Pitbull Pittman here in, in these last two weeks. I guess two for two on the Pitbull spectrum here. Um, I, you know, I like that Pitbull stays with his kind of like prescribed style. Like he's, he's a mat wrestler, you know, that's his, that's his deal. He's a submission wrestler. He's a, um, amateur wrestler, whatever. So I like that he, you know, works to bring it to the mat. And when disco tried to arm drag him, he drug him down into an arm bar, which I thought was really cool. Um, so after Disco does kind of gain the upper hand, he's dancing here, and Pitbull comes up behind him, hits kind of, I call it a belly-to-belly throw, which is it isn't really a suplex, it kind of just chucks him around. And then a huge gut-wrench powerbomb, like off the floor. Yeah. So I don't, it was Or off the mat, I should say. It seems like the fans pop whenever Pitman suplexes Disco. Well, I think... He's he really is kind of along the same lines as the faces of fear. Really, just, you know, power suplexes. They aren't. They don't look like. They don't look choreographed. They look like he's really just herking them up 
and especially that gut wrench power bomb where he pulls him off the mat into a gut wrench power bomb. After he hits hits the gut wrench power bomb, Teddy Long messes up Disco's hair. Well, <laughs> insult to injury. Yeah, so um, it's one thing people know, never should do is mess with Disco Inferno's hair. <laughs> Uh, which I, I'll give Larry credit here. He says that it's because Teddy Long's jealous. He's like, <laughs> look at that. Look at that Pike's peak on his shoulders. He just knows that he'll never have hair like Disco. So Pittman hits his battering ram, which is, uh, yeah, headbutt to the gut. Run in. By, run in by Mr. Beverly Hills' cat. Good job. Oh, my gosh. Cat. Super run in. Um, <laughs> so after he does the the battering room is always his setup for the code red his his arm arm bar move. So as he's going for it, we kind of get a bell out of nowhere, right? Yeah. With with at first really no explanation, but tell us the explanation it, that uh, Disco Prince gave up when he was in a wrist lock because yep. he doesn't want to risk the chance of hurting himself for because he wants to dance because he wants to do the hand thing what else does oh he wants to do the Uh, pointing dance and then he wants to be able to fix his hair and so 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 the winner is sergeant greg Pittman. before we rate this match beverly hills kevin sullivan and msl talked about this on kevin sullivan's podcast hell of a deal over at mlw.com pretty much that msl once in a while has Disco Inferno on as a guest on other shows, and and MSO asked Disco about that, and Disco really couldn't remember exactly who thought of that idea, and so he told MSO to talk to Kevin Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan about it, and Sullivan said that it was his idea, and he wanted uh, he wanted Disco to give up in a wrist lock because, like what you said, he wanted Disco's character to continue on, you know, that... He's not really concerned about wins or losses. He's most concerned about dancing and shaking his booty. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Uh the rating I rated this match funny, funny, a wrist watch. <laughs> okay, uh, what does a what does a wrist watch one half star? Okay, I went star and a quarter. I liked the the wrestling uh up to the finish, I thought it really kind of showcased Pittman um, and the good good things that he can do. Um, but, you know, was short, couldn't really get going before it was over. So, Is, Was there anything between uh, the match we, re- we reviewed and the next match? Because I don't have any notes about it. Um, the only thing that they show... Another run-in. Is... The clip from main event where Regal slaps uh, Sting. Okay. Then the next match is Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves taking on Mr. USA, USA, dig it, dig it, Jim Duggan. Red, white, and blue. Because when Duggan came out, I have a call from Larry Tabisco. Okay. Oh, no. Not this idiot. This man's <laughs> IQ is in the single digits. 
All right, Larry, you're, you're getting on my good side now. My That was my reaction. I wrote down, ha-ha, I enjoy Larry Zabisco in times <laughs> like this. Yeah, it's all right. It's, I mean, it's all right. That That's at least good. So, but now he... He he gets another ding because he's talking about Mongo and Green, and he's like, blah, blah, blah. Kevin Green left his team after the Stupid Bowl. Stupid Bowl is, like, the lamest insult that, like, people who don't like football, they're always like, we're watching Stupid Bowl. It's so bad. And like Larry doing that, I'm like, oh no, Larry. <laughs> but one thing I enjoyed was Duggan getting the crowd to chant USA and Regal selling it on his, I guess, body language and facial expression. Yeah. It pissing him off and him teasing that he would not even get into the ring to wrestle yes. Jim Duggan. Yeah, he was stalling a lot on the outside. And right when he got in, Duggan ran him into the corner. Um, he follows up with three uh, big clotheslines uh, to Regal, and Regal takes up takes a powder there after the after the three clotheslines. Um, once he gets back in, it's a little bit of back and forth, and as Duggan does like the lean down move, Regal kicked him right in the face, and oh, I thought it looked good. That was a nice big punt right to his face. I was to say, Duggan's face is in there pretty anyways. So <laughs> Regal's, uh, I guess, uh, wanted to bring Duggan to plastic surgery uh, and all that. It's not really that bad of an idea to do. Yeah, and uh, the announcers were talking around there that um, Larry was saying that if the revolutionary soldiers would have had people like uh, Duggan on their side, we would be playing rugby right now instead of football. Uh, and and right as the, then right as Regal kicks Duggan in the face, um, Tony goes, well, there's a rugby kick right there. <laughs> oh, which I thought was pretty good. And I don't Tony has his good points. I think right around this time, the fans chanted USA once again, and Regal had another disgusted look on his face, and I LOL'd out loud. I guess, I guess that is a definition of LOL, isn't it? Yeah, you got it. Anyway. So Regal is is doing some nefarious tactics. He gets an eye, pe- eye poke in. Um, but but Duggan, is, he's still got the upper hand. He hits a long series of punches and then a backdrop, which causes the Blue Bloods to come out, Squire Dave Taylor, and... Earl Bobby Eaton, the Earl of Eaton. <laughs> and uh, as they come out here, Duggan, he goes into his three-point stance. And he hits the football tackle onto Regal. And this is where I write, or I thought, now Duggan tries to cheat multiple times. First, after he hits the football tackle, he goes gets the board. So how is this guy a good guy? He's going to hit Regal with a two-by-four? Like, how is that good? USA, USA, tough guy. But to answer your question, I have the same thoughts, Mr. Beverly Hills. This is one thing I wish Tony Schiavone, not Tony Schiavone, Jesse Ventura was still in WCW (laughs) doing color because he would call out 
uh, Jim Duggan for getting that damn two by four. Right. So he's first. He's going to hit him with the board, and Taylor comes up behind him and takes the board. Then he gets the magic Irish tape from his uh, trunks, and he's going to hit Regal with that. But or no, he's going to hit Eaton with it. But as that's happening, Regal rolls him up. Pins him with the holding the trunks. And Tony is incredulous about Regal holding the trunks. Really? Is it eye out for an eye? Is it eye, eye for an eye, I suppose? Out of all, yeah, I know, but he's like, oh, oh, he cheated. Really? Out of all the things Duggan just tried to do, you're going to get mad at the trunk rake? Or Tony, the trunk hold? Tony Chavani, give me a break. He's all about the. All about the faces, I guess. So the winner is Lord Steven Regal. As a joke, as I have been doing so far, I rated this match a cup of tea, but two stars for sure. I went two stars as well. Because I thought this was a good match. Regal, I'm sure Regal could have brought out a little bit better of a match out of Jim Duggan, but this was was a decent match. I enjoyed, I guess, the last, well, last and closing moments of the match with... The Blue Bloods, I guess, in a way, is distracting the referee. Uh, Dave Taylor grabbing Duggan's 2x4 and, and all that, and Regal getting the advantage by schoolboying Duggan for the victory. Yeah, it was it was all right for what it was. It definitely wasn't as good as Regal's match last week. Um, and I guess kind of a stalling in his build-up to his match with Sting. But we'll see how that goes. Um in the next few weeks. Well, yeah, because I, th- uh, I guess I have a tough time thinking of who else could Regal face to have a better match, again, you know, to build him up against Steen. But then again, WCW is known for having a crap load of wrestlers on the roster not using them, so it would have been hard yeah, to say. Yeah, gi- they always have a gigantic roster. There could have, I know there could have been more, but, you know, Duggan, for some reason, was always at the top of the card in his whole run, at least until, you know, 97, 96, 97 times. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I gotta get, they got to get him in, I guess. So after the match, me and Wojin came back in and interviewed Regal in the ring, and, uh, and all that, then I guess Regal got a fine somewhere. Yeah, for slapping Sting on main event. Yeah, then Regal said that he paid for it, and and uh, it is more than what he people. Paid, he paid double, so he's in credit. Then Regal said that he paid more, or what he paid is what is more than what most people get in their lifetime, which made me laugh. Then uh, Regal, like, yeah, that all happened on the main event, which we talked about. Let's see, then Regal said he isn't here to insult his family, and he wants Steen on his best at the pay-per-view. He wants Steen to be pissed off, and because he wants to show the world he can beat Steen at his best. Regal wins! Oh, what did you think? Regal couldn't beat this Tim win. And they got the 2 by 4 to boot! And don't give it back to the moron! Well, they dropped it and ran. You know, Regal had a hard time getting momentum there. Heck saw the guys got fist-like bowling balls. Just kept hammering away, hammering away. But can you blame the blue bloods? Here's Hacksaw Duggan. He's armed with two by fours. He's got tape in his trunks. I mean, where's the referee here? 
All right, uh, Mean Gene is making his way to the ring, and as his, he makes his way there, we want to take a look at what happened earlier well, on. look at it. Here's Hacksaw trying to hurt a helpless Lord Regal with a big foreign object. Squire Dave Taylor does the decent thing, takes it away. Still, Hacksaw pulls out tape from his trunks, nails the Earl of Eden. It's like two foreign objects. He should be disqualified twice. Lord Regal still genius enough to pin Hacksaw Jim Gordon. A little argument going on in the ring. With that in mind, we take you up to the ring area now. Lord Stephen Regal, you've got the Blue Bloods working here like the back room at Kathy Lee Gifford's shop. Earlier today, you were reprimanded very heavily by World Championship Wrestling. You paid dearly, your lordship. I was reprimanded very, very highly with a large fine that most of you bloody peasants wouldn't earn in a year. But I saved the trouble for WCW. I paid double the fine, so now I'm in bloody credit. Time to listen to me. Let, let's, let's, show, let's show these folks exactly why you were fined. It happened this past weekend. I'm going to make an example WCW's of you. So main WCW's main event. Hey, I was hey, there for the police. Get out of here. Police. I'm not standing for the You slashed things. It was totally on call for. I could have done what all these other bloody idiotic wrestlers here would have done. I could have come here and insulted Sting, insulted his family, insulted his friends. But being the man Sting is, he doesn't love anybody else except for himself. When I get Sting in the ring at the Great American Bass, I want Sting at his best, not at his most half-hearted. I want this man mean, I want him nasty, I want him downright bloody rude. And I am going to show the world as I beat this man at his best. Right in the middle of my home here. All right, that match is going to be taking place live on pay-per-view. I am sorry, Lord Stephen Regal. You better get the troops together and prepare and prepare very well for the Great American Bash on Sunday, June the 16th, only on pay-per-view. More on Monday night after this. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. Yep, he wants a mean, nasty, and rude. I like William Regal. I wrote Stephen Regal should be the champion. Yes. He's awesome in the ring. He's awesome on the mic. He could totally carry a company in 1996. He's fantastic. Then, we, then Money and Extra goes to a commercial. We come back, and we see a video package building up the, building up the Benoit and Sullivan feud. Uh, they have a false Count Anywhere match at the pay-per-view. Do you have any notes about that video package? No, it's just the last few... With their matches, that yeah, yep, all the all the fighting and kind of this convoluted storyline about the Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen teaming up together, and Benoit is the the only one in the Four Horsemen who doesn't think that this is a, a good idea because he doesn't trust uh, Sullivan. I guess I I enjoy video package like this when. We really can't see both competitors or one of the competitors on Monday Night to, to uh, continue the storyline for the pay-per-view, so I, I enjoy video packages like this. Sure, it's a good use of them. Then the next match is Kevin Sullivan with Jimmy Hart taking on Prince Ikea. Uh, have we talked about Prince Ikea before on the podcast? No, this is his first appearance on the podcast. Okay, what, what do you know about Prince Ikea? 
Um, you know, not too much. Just kind of from what we see here, and and uh, yeah, he's a, a young guy. He gets a really quick push up the ranks, up the card. Um, Sullivan's eyebrow lightning bolts are so strange, so strange, because he's got like his regular eyebrows, and then he has these lightning bolts painted like as if he's perpetually angry, yeah. which is so weird. I noted that the pr- Prince Ike got a jobber entrance because he was ruddy in the ring. Uh-huh. But yeah, then when Sullivan got in, he started the match by attacking Prince Ike on everything. I'll kick it to you for the match. Yeah, he beats at him in the ring. He throws him outside, crotches him onto the rail, then clotheslines him off of it, which I thought looked really cool. Um, he picks him up there, throws him into the into the ring, um, sets him up in the tree of woe. Does uh, I, I thought like maybe he was gonna do like a basement drop kick or something. I was hoping, but he just kind of like ran into him, and I was like, oh, that's disappointing. Um, and then he did the double stomp, and it was over. And I hate the double stop as a finish, especially when it's, like, not from the top rope or anything. He's just, like, standing on his tummy for, like, a quarter of a second. So the winner is Kevin Sullivan. And I rated this match one star. I went quarter star. Because I felt, honestly, it was a squash match. And I I guess unlike the tag team match that we saw saw with the Faces of Fear and High Voltage, you know, Sullivan, I guess to me this was a traditional WWF, Monday Night Raw, early days squash match. Right. It, it just showed one competitor, you know, doing all his moves, not not making his opponent look good. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. And and again, like, it's not like the Faces of Fear made the other team look good, but the this was just really over really quick. Yes, yeah, so then we get me and Gene in the ring once again to interview... <laughs> Kevin Sullivan. Jimmy Hart first talked about it, talked, talked and all that, so they don't need a horseman because they already have the World Heavyweight title with the Giant. We got everything going for us, baby! And take a look here, Larry. Well, look at this. Tied to the tree of all. Prince Iakea had nowhere to go. Taskmaster right here, the reverse Heimlich maneuver. And like again, Chris Benoit, as good as he is, as sharp as he is, with the great snap and balance that he has, he's going to need more. He's going to have to reach down into his soul and do anything humanly possible to stop a man who knows no bounds, Tony. We go to Mean Gene. All right, I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. I see uh, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, a couple of your fans here. They're dressed to the nines, very good looking. Now, Jimmy Hart. Coming up at the Great American Bash, the Taskmaster to meet Chris Benoit. A lot of friction between these two men as we saw moments ago. You know, Taskmaster, sometimes when I talk to you, man, I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall. Why in the world do we have to bond ourselves with Ric Flair and Iron Anderson, the Four Horsemen? Man, we've got everything happening for us in the Dungeon of Doom. We've got the WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, the Giant. We don't need anything or anybody else. You know, Kevin Sullivan, if you take a look at it, you've got your work cut out for you on the 16th of June in Baltimore, Maryland, one-on-one with Chris Benoit. Make no mistake about it, he is sensational. Well, I have a story to tell you. You see, there happens to be two wars going on in WCW. Let the legal department handle the first one, and the second one, Jimmy, this Hulkamania is not dead. By no means. 
he will come back and he'll be looking for some people, including the giant, including you, including me, and the only two people I respect in the wrestling business. That's Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. You hear that chant? It's Hogan. Well, it's real simple. Arn, I told you about Brian Pillman. The last time he faced me, he quit. The only man to quit the Four Horsemen, he was a quitter. Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, Benoit's no quitter. But I'll tell you this, I know serpents better than anybody in this planet. And the way you get rid of a serpent is you crush the egg. So Gene, what I'm going to do, it's not for just the Dungeon of Doom. This is an ally. I'm going to get rid of Benoit, so we'll get rid of Hogan. Thank you very much, Kevin Sullivan. Stay tuned. More Monday Nitro coming up here on TNT. And Sullivan said there's two wars in WCW. The legal department is dealing with the first one. Then the second one is Hulkamania. And now, what what do you think the legal department war is? Is that the war with WWF? I kind of assume so. At least that's what I want to say. But I I don't know what other legal uh, department war that would be. I don't know what other one it would be. Yeah, that's what I guess what I figured too. But I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't understand exactly what the <laughs> what that is. But I suppose you can't get much into it, which is why for me, why you just don't say it. But yeah. whatever. But yeah, then uh, Sullivan said that he's looking for, you know, that the second one is one with Hulkamania. And Hulk, when Hogan comes back, he'll be looking for the giant, looking for Jimmy Hart, looking for himself. And, and then Sullivan said there's two people in the in the business he respects, Arn Anderson, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. And Sullivan said that he is getting rid of Benoit because, or perhaps for Arn Anderson and Ric Flair like he did to, Brian Pillman earlier in the year, and he said that. Well, he, yeah, he he said that he warned him about Pillman and that they didn't take his advice and he quit on him. So he's doing it for their own good. He's trying to get Benoit before he does something to him. Yeah, so he's trying to get. So Sullivan said that if he if he can get rid of Benoit, he'll get rid of Hulk Hogan. Right, which I think like the message is actually pretty good, but. Sullivan and I'm sure you're just all about him since you love listening to him, but. Like, his imagery, like, Benoit is a serpent in the egg. Like, what? What's with the serpent in the egg stuff? And we and he, have a third run in the And podcast. he keeps talking about him, like, as a snake and whatnot. It's so weird. I just don't understand it. Like, it, why he keeps going back to this. It, let's be honest. It's just really outdated. You know, in the early 80s in Florida... The devil stuff was cool because it's a very like it was with the time um, and the culture. Well, yeah, it was fresh. In Florida, is very much still a very like heavily Christian area. Um, on the national scene, using that kind of stuff was really passe at that point. So uh, uh, it would have been nice, I guess. Yeah, it would have been nice if Kevin Sullivan could have used a different 
analogy if I, if well, I I wish she just would have been straightforward and just been that, like that too, yeah. I'm getting rid of Benoit to help uh, Arn Anderson and Flair like instead of just being like blah blah serpent in the egg <laughs> bullshit I don't know <laughs> it's yeah. so stupid so Nitro goes to the commercial we come back and Tony tells us that we're coming to the end of the first hour mm-hmm. yep and I, because of the next match Mr. Beverly Hills I am open enough the always one of a kind, Dr. Pepper, Vanilla <laughs> Float. It is always one of a kind, like you are always one of a kind. And so we get this next match the Rock and Roll Express. Hailing as, from 1988. As in Ricky <laughs> Morton and Robert Gibson taking on our favorite, uh, another favorite take team of Mid Event Status Radio. Oh, yeah. Rick Flair and Arn Anderson. Yes, and Flair and Arn are wearing green and green and Mongo jerseys. Flair's is much too big. Arn's is much too small. <laughs> <laughs> Think of it. What were? Do you know what what the Rock and Roll Express was doing around this time? Uh, they are just coming off a really good run in Smoky Mountain. Okay, so at least they were still competitive and all that. So I just oh, curious. definitely. So I was just curious if, oh, I guess I didn't know if they were had a break from wrestling elsewhere and all that, and just got hired by WCW for to do some short, you know, TV matches oh. or whatever else. So I was, yeah, I was just curious what Rock and Roll Express was was up to at that time, and I felt like that they they look extremely old in 1996, and you can definitely tell they're using their 80s gimmick into. 96. Yeah, they never changed. Uh, I don't know, pr- probably much to their detriment. But yeah, it, yeah, in the from like 93 to 96, they had really good runs. First against the Beverly Bodies, the Heavenly Bodies. Just so you know, it's not the Beverly Brothers because sometimes we get confused as to which ones. But um, and then against the the aforementioned Gangsters, uh, also. Uh, and just some really good stuff. So now, now that Smoky Mountain is kind of finished, here they are. And you know, so. you were talking about uh, Flair and Anderson coming out in uh, green and mango jerseys. Uh, the yep. Rock and Roll Express is wearing red tights. Flair's in red trunks, and Double A is wearing a kind of a two-tone trunks, uh, front in the red, black in the back. Just saying, how at times I like to note different competitors. Uh, Rainwear and all that. I just wanted to mention that. And yeah, Anderson, maybe only if it's like interesting. I guess I I wanted to mention it because I felt like it was kind of weird that all four guys were wearing some some were wearing red in their attires. Sure, so, sure. Anderson, okay, rock on, rock on. Anderson and Morton start the match, and I wanted to mention before I kick it to you that holy yeah. moly, the fans were into the start of the match, and I yeah they were. Oh my gosh, they were so hot for this match. Well, come on. This is like four of the most popular wrestlers in the past 20 years in the, I guess not so much in the Georgia area, but definitely in the in the NWA Crockett Promotions territory, which took over Georgia, you know, pretty in the mid to late 80s. So, yeah, I would, yeah, I would they love were to huge. see if... If there's on YouTube or Daily Motion, I would love to see if a match, if these four guys had a take team match, I'd say like six years earlier, like 90s, 89, 90 or something, like on TV somewhere. Yeah, you'd probably be looking, 
80 well they had a cage match in like 87 or oh, 88 did so yeah that's oh. easy yeah that's easy pickings that'll be, that'd be interesting to watch that someday for the podcast sometime down right the road on. yep so yeah we're getting the countdown to the second hour here so, to start it out here I, I know we debated last week and i don't want to give out any spoilers but i was this was the match i was referring to last week on the 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 Hour two start out and the pyro going off and the announcers being switched between the ma- matches and I hated I hated that. Uh, okay, here's my thoughts. I thought the switching the commentators was perfectly fine. I thought, in fact, they did a pretty smooth job of it. Uh, I did not like the fireworks though because yeah. because it interrupted what was in the ring. Like I I didn't I actually thought the switch the handoff between. Shivani to um, Bischoff was actually really well done, and I, I found nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, he was he was very much like we're counting down. I'm going to send it over to Bischoff three, two, one, peace out. But the pyro was pretty distracting. Well, I guess so. I didn't mind you know the switching the announcers. I guess it just bothered me the pyro in the middle of the middle of the match. And that was weird because so. uh, it definitely it, like I said like it stopped what was happening in the ring like I don't care things outside the ring but it stopped the match and, and that was weird because um, I, I have to mention that yeah the couple WWE events I've been to you know, a couple of the couple of the events I was right at right at the stage and the apparel is extremely hot and extremely loud I do not know how any wrestler can handle you know <laughs> I guess especially in this match be, being I guess starting out the match and pyro above them going off and all that and how hot and how loud that would be yeah sure yeah i think you just get used to it i don't know though fair enough but i guess that to me that just kind of bothered me having pyro going off in the middle of the match sure anyway so so flair starts out and he's dancing around he's goofing i love dancing goofy flair like that's that's one of my favorite uh versions of him um because he he starts out on top here, but with with a big chop. But Ricky fires back with some punches and a a huge back body drop of his own. Um, the the early part of this match is really kind of the story of the Horsemen are trying to get ahead, but the the Rock and Rollers are getting back. So Arn tries the. You know, like we talked about, I'm not sure, a couple weeks ago maybe, where he's trying to hit the elbow drops and Robert Gibson's just rolling away and he keeps trying and he keeps trying and he keeps missing. Um, yeah, we get to a point where both of the Rock and Roll Express members have figure fours on the Horseman, which I thought was very, very cool. Uh, and before we go to the first commercial... Uh, Ric Flair's getting very frustrated. He hits, uh, pushes Randy Anderson, and Randy Anderson hits him to the floor twice. <laughs> go Randy and the Anderson. Horse, yep, and the horsemen get chased to the VITP table, and we go to the commercial. And we come back from commercial, and Morton and Anderson are back in the ring, and Morton, Morton had the advantage. Yep, but Arn is able to tag in Flair, who immediately comes with a doink eye poke to Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like and, Flair's eye pokes are probably up there as some of the best. Well, yeah, I don't even know why they're just so funny because he's just like whatever, whatever, boom, eye poke. <laughs> and uh, at this point, we get a, a long um, control segment 
uh, from the horsemen. You know, Flair's working on Ricky on the outside, throwing him into the rail. Um, Arn is working on the shoulder a lot in the ring. Uh, Ricky's able to fire up once, but as he's firing up, gets hit with a really good-looking spine buster. Uh, I have to interrupt. Uh, before yep. that, Anderson hit a, I, I believe, a beautiful hammerlock body slam. And I like really love that. And I had to give credit to Eric Bischoff for helping name that move for me if I can put that name in, the, in my notes. So thank you, Eric Bischoff. That, as you said, you know, a beautiful spine buster from Arn Anderson after whipping Morton, in, Morton into the turnbuckle. Yeah, and that was actually when you were talking about Bishop naming moves, it really came across phony to me because he named moves for about five seconds. Like, and he was just like going super quick. He's like, oh, yeah, and then he, then, and then he named not a single freaking move for the rest of the match. So, so I don't know if someone was like, Bischoff, you don't name enough moves. And he's like, well, I'm going to fucking show him. I'm going to name all the moves I want for this two second period. Do you feel like uh, Bischoff is having a, I guess, a Larry Sabisco moment? I don't know. I like I said. I think somebody was like Bischoff doesn't call moves, so he's like, "Well, I'm gonna call moves." Okay, I, I guess it would be nice instead of doing it once every great often. It'd be nice if Bischoff could sprinkle in names and moves moves a little bit more often. Yeah, I and I don't know how I stand on that on the regular. I mean, when we get into like Joey Styles in. ECW, like he just kind of all he does is move names, and that can be a little much. Um, but then when you get into like the Michael Cole, who doesn't call any names, I guess that's also not. I it's got to be kind of a happy in the medium. middle. Was yeah. do you feel like Jim Ross, like during the Attitude Era per se? Do you feel like he was good on? naming moves and still telling the story? Because I guess it's been a while since I sat down and watched, I say, like a random Raw from 98, 99, 2000 and all that. I guess was what you can remember was Jim Ross halfway decent at kind of being a mixture of both? Yeah, I think he, yeah, I think he kind of was closer to the middle, but he definitely was leaning toward the story side too. But in general, you know, pretty good. I just, um, just wanted to ask, but right on. you get back to the match. Right on. So during this long um, control segment, I was just noticing that woman was doing a really good job of, you know, being a heel. She's screaming. She's slapping the mat. And I just wrote that she's trying to show Miss Elizabeth how to be a heel, but she doesn't know how. Because uh, she's like, she's screaming. She's pounding on the mat. And what is Miss Elizabeth doing? Stand there. Yeah, stone faced. I laugh because you know, I noted that you know after the spinebuster flare came in, hit a beautiful standing vertical suplex on on a Morton. Only got a two count. Then my next note, which I laugh, which is I guess good for woman. Man, it gets old hearing women scream outside of the <laughs> ring. So I guess right. that's a good thing. As since woman was a, a heel woman manager, it was good. To, I guess get under viewers at home, you know, viewers yeah. in, in the arena get underneath their skin and all that. So Right. And I mean like Elizabeth is a great babyface manager because they aren't really asked to do anything. She's a really bad heel manager. You know, RIP, but man, she's really bad. Like she doesn't show any emotion. She just stands there. She's even like 
even like during the promo later, she's just standing there. I it's kind of rough. I guess you can say, Elizabeth is as cold as ice. She's willing okay. to sacrifice the heat. <laughs> Bad, I know. But yeah, another note I, I laugh about after the woman screaming outside the ring is Flair touches slap on the figure four under Morton, but Morton rolls him up into a small package. And I had to say that 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 went through, that was a smooth transition from the figure four into a small package, and I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and he followed that up with another um, sunset flip in the corner too. Or no, whatever. The, I don't know what what it's called. Just a roll up. I'm no move caller. I'm more of a story guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Arn did come in and he and he was he was working a front face lock a couple of times. And whenever Ricky was almost to Robert, Arn would push him off, turn around, and hit Gibson, which I thought was I, I thought that was like perfect strategy. Well, if I can't keep this guy away, I'll keep get the other guy away. Um, okay, so the the storyline behind this match is a lot about Bobby, uh-huh. right? And it's a lot about is Bobby going to be um, their manager or whatnot? Well, at this point, he goes down to the ring and he chats with the ladies for a second and then pieces out leaves. Yeah, I had to interrupt again. Uh, yeah, I found it. Yeah, I noted that Yeah, Bobby left the announcer's booth and went inside and said something. Yeah, like he said to Miss Elizabeth and woman and walked back to the announcer's booth. And when Bobby was gone, Push off, try to ask Bobby what he was doing. And I put in my notes I had to and I thought it was funny. Duh. He can't answer you when he isn't with you, Bischoff. Yeah, right. Well, I just right. made it I just felt funny funny that Bischoff was trying to ask Bobby what the hell is he doing when he isn't there to I guess to answer and respond to him. I think he's maybe asking hypothetically. I I know, but I'm just saying stuff like that kinda I would think he would know that Bobby's not going to answer if he's not next to him. Bobby could have a megaphone. You think that's what he? You think that's what he meant? He, he thought Bobby had a megaphone. <laughs> Whatever. So, I noted that uh, Knight's insecurity <laughs> from Gibson. Uh yeah. Well, he did a lot before that insecurity. So Ricky was able to get through Arn's legs and and get him in. He hit. Four body slams, a double noggin knocker, two drop kicks, then yes, hit an enziguri. <laughs> and uh, the, the uh, Rocky Roll Express had some double team maneuvers going up, and I didn't no- take note of it because I guess I'm not the, just like you, Beverly Hills, I'm not the moves <laughs> guy. Yeah, they hit a double drop kick, and it looked really, really nice. But uh, yeah, as Robert was trying for a roll up, woman came up, raked his eyes. Arn hit that beautiful, beautiful DDT, and he got the pin. Yeah, Flair rolls over, scores the victory. Winners of the match, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. And think of it, I have to ask Mr. Beverly Hills. What's up? Between Arn Anderson, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Raven, how would you rank their DDTs? Oh, man, that's a good question. Because it's also there, you know, it's the same move. It's a pretty simple move, but they all hit it so differently. Oh gosh! And I feel like all three, all three made that DD, their DDTs effective. Yeah, and they're all and they, 
that's the thing is like how I just said, like it is a fairly simple move. Like there's not a lot of variations you can do. You know what I mean? Like you can't do a ton of different things with it, but yet, just like you said, they all made it their own. Um, I guess that, that would say a lot about yeah. each guy. Yeah, they made it uh-huh. their own. yeah. I mean, you know, Raven was really able to kind of hit it really with a snap. Um, Arn, I really kind of liked how he would almost pick up the his opponent as he was coming down with it. Uh, and you know, I just kind of think that Jake the Snake is just kind of the standard bearer for the de- for the DDT. I d- I don't know what my favorite one is. Do you have a ranking? I guess it's hard to say. I guess like you were saying that they all have a different variation of the DDT. Or, sure. You know, if you I guess it's kind of hard to describe and on each how each one differently. I, I guess you did it uh, probably the best way on kind of saying how each one. Did their, their version, but I guess it's hard for me to rank each one. I I guess they're all great at their at their version. And I guess if I guess guess the inner Steve Austin in me ha- is coming up and saying it, it kind of bothers me to see a DDT nowadays just as a transition move. Sure, sure, but sure. I guess I know wrestling is different nowadays. Yep. So yeah, what, at the sa- yeah yep at the same point. Uh, you know, wrestling evolves in the in the nineteen fifties. A punch was getting a a, a pin. Yeah. You know, does does he want punches to get pins? Well, no. You know, he he evolved from the from the seventies and eighties, and now it's an evolution from yeah. the nineties. And get- and to be honest, we can thank his era, you know, for doing that. Because in his era was the one where it took 9,000 moves to put somebody down. So if yeah. he wants to do anything, he can look in the mirror on that, I think. I guess I want to mention, you know, Jake the Snakes and Ravens and Arn Anderson's EDT that if, you know, I guess if there's any wrestlers in training that are listening to main events, that is Radio 1. Thank you for downloading and supporting us and jamming out to us every whenever we download the podcast. Thank you guys very much. Keep on listening. Spread the word. And I guess if anybody wants to make their DDT, their finish man- maneuver, I feel like you know watching Jake the Snake, watching Arn Anderson, watching Raven deliver their DDTs are probably the best three people to go out and watch. Right on. So I, agree. I rated this, uh, this match three and one half stars. I did as well. Right on. Three and a half. You I got it. This was a great match. Payson was fabulous, and them fans made it a hell of a lot better with being into this the whole match. Yeah, it only drugged slightly during that control segment, but it was able to be picked up by, you know, Bobby coming down or whatever. That kind of spaced it out a little bit, gave us a little more oomph there in that middle part. Um, in in general, very well done. And, uh, yeah, just four four old vets who know what to do, doing doing exactly what they need to. And then Mean Gene is aisle side with the ladies, Bobby Heenan, Art Anderson, and Ric Flair. Right on. And Mean Gene starts out with Anderson and asked him uh, why they were wearing the jerseys when they they were coming out. Made me laugh. Art Anderson that Art Anderson was saying like like his jerseys was too tight. He was too thick or whatever else. And he's but, yeah. He says that they're they're too big for it. He's like, we always know we were better, 
but apparently we're bigger too. And I was like, oh my God, this is why Arn Anderson is the freaking man. Like he can even save where he's looking like an idiot kind of where he needed help taking the shirt off. Well, shoot. What a perfect save. I'm too muscular. Duh. Oh, I'm like, oh, Arn Anderson, you are the man. Because it made me laugh, too, that Arn Anderson said that wrestlers are better athletes than football players. So I feel like, you know, Anderson and Flair with the, you know, promo last week and this week that they're building up Mongo and and Green and, you know, pretty much saying that they are great athletes and all that, you know, building them up, making them seem like somebody's in the eyes of the fans and viewers at home. Kind of, okay. Anyway, then. Yeah, because no, they're saying that they're less athletes, less uh, smaller. I, I Not in this week. I don't yeah. think I'd say this week. Brought to you by 1-800-COLLECT, the way to save on collect calls. Just dial 1-800-COLLECT from any phone to any phone and save. And a rake of the eyes at DDT and a cheap cover. Thanks to the brain Bobby Heenan. And woman at ringside. Let's see if we can uh, get some clarity on this situation. Take it, Gino. All right, Eric, I don't know if I can really clear anything up here, but Arn Anderson, I'm going to start with you, ladies, if you would, please. Arn Anderson, I saw you out here earlier with a Steve McMichael jersey. Uh, what, what's the meaning of that? Apparently, I'm too big and thick to play pro football because McMichael's jersey had my chest growing out of the neck of it. My kid, who's 10, would have barely got that shirt over his head. Do you understand what I'm saying, McMichaels? Not only are we tougher, better athletes, apparently we're way too big. All right, uh, thank you very much. Now, Rick Flair, now all of a sudden you show up with Kevin Green's number 91 jersey for the Carolina Panthers. Where in the devil did you get that? It means that Deborah loves the nature boy, not Dallas. They were a gift from Deborah McMichael. Now, Kevin Green, whether you like it, Kevin Green, or you don't like it, this goes to the entire Panther organization, the NFL, it doesn't matter, we are bigger, we are faster, we are sleeker, and we are all night long. All right, Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan, I couldn't help but notice, and I want to bring you out here. The Coupe is now. You said something to a woman. You conversed with her at ringside, and then all of a sudden we saw a little uh, chicanery. You're responsible for this, I'm certain. No, I'm not. I went up to the woman and merely suggested to her that I know a good place where she can get her diamonds cleaned if she sh- should want to. But now you want to ask me something. You of course, ask you know, world. whatever I tried to ask you last night, you wouldn't give me a straight answer. Well, you ask me now for all the people. Are you going to manage Ric Flair and Arn Anderson at the Great American Bash when they meet Steve McMichael and Kevin Green? Ladies, you don't know the answer. Gentlemen, you don't, you don't. But I know the answer is very simple. 
since I have not been managing, I've been, uh, people have come from all over the world, all, every organization, and have asked me to manage. They've offered me money, homes, cars, anything you could think of. And you're on the tape. And I, well, I do like money, yes, but I turned them down for the simple reason I promised myself I'd never manage again. And I'm going to keep that promise. You're not gentlemen. I am sorry. I wish you the best of luck. I gave myself, I promised myself. You guys, I will never manage. The girls? the girls, thank you. I am sorry. Wait, wait a minute. Now, you're not offering flesh. Bobby Hannon. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. What is what? I mean, I'm hoping you could certainly. What is this? A Halliburton? What is this? <laughs> now, in 1988, I won the All-Madden Trophy. I was the manager of John Madden's team. Now, everybody respects John Madden. I'm on the back here with the names of, like, Joe Montana, uh, Mike Ditka, Tom Landry, and right down here it says manager Bobby Heenan. Well, I said I'd never manage again, but in Baltimore, I will coach. I will be at ringside. You have got to be putting no, to show those football players what coaching is all about. You think you've been outcoached? <laughs> you don't know what outcoaching means. You guys will be sitting in the locker room underneath the bench for so long wondering what the heck happened. I'll tell you what happened. The brain is back coaching. I think Reed perhaps might have reared its ugly head again here as we witness it on set. Mickey, can I end this with a jig? They can... Stay all night. They can stay a little longer. You can not. That's all that. Thank you. This guy is just new couple. Bobby Heenan coaching. I can't believe it. Eric, it's official. He will coach at the bash. Players said Deborah McMichael loves him. Yep, that she was the one that gave him the jerseys. Then Gino asked Bobby to come over and asked him if he'll manage the guys at the pay-per-view. Bobby kind of, I think, uh, sugar-coated it a little bit. But then finally went to, got to the case, or shot to the hip, or shot the hip and said that he'll never manage again. And Flair was in shock, but Bobby had a, a, a briefcase with him, and Bobby gave it to Anderson, hold, told Anderson to hold it for me, opened it up, and he, I guess, tell us what Bobby had in the briefcase. Okay, in his briefcase was, well, first off, Bobby says that everybody's asking him to manage. He's gotten calls to manage for the last six years, but he said he'll never manage again. He's going to keep the promise. So out of that Halliburton, he gets his all-Madden team trophy from 1988. So back in the day when John Madden was on TV, he would always do an all-Madden team. And uh, he'd always kind of have like a jokey one in addition to all of the, you know, quarterback, running back, whatever, whatever. And in 1988, he named a manager, and the manager he named was Bobby Heenan. So yeah, Bobby <laughs> Heenan pulled that out and said that, yeah, he was named a manager of the year or whatnot in 88, and so that because of that, he decided to retire as manager, but he'll come back and coach the team instead. Yep, he says, I won't manage, but I'll coach. And Flair went crazy over the news, hearing that Bobby Heaton will not manage him again, but coach him instead. And then he finished with, like, a song? 
He's like, they could stay all night. They could stay a little longer. They could dance all night. They could dance a little longer. As like he's running away. And I've never heard this song before. Have you ever heard this song? I have. I can't. Oh, what is it? I can't remember the song title, but I know it's an old country song. I want to say like. Oh, really? Yeah, I want to. Yeah, uh, dance all night, dance. Well, I guess you pretty much said it. Yeah, yeah, dance all night, dance a little longer, stay up all night, stay a little longer, or something like that. I know it's so old. Like I want to say it's like from the sixties or seventies, an old country song. I I love hearing Flair. Oh, it's Willie Nelson, nineteen seventy four. It's called "Stay All Night, Stay a Little Longer." So I love hearing Flair quote songs. Like he did on this night showing, you know, quoting Willie Nelson and last week quoting Starland vocal band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I just love it. <laughs> so then we get a, a video package of the giant and of Hogan. Go yep. to do a commercial. Here's your Hogan one. Talk about your Hogan one. Okay, uh, oh no, that's coming back. Yes. Yeah. Commercial, yeah, commercial break. We see a, a glacier video package once again. I hope we don't want to see him. <laughs> Bischoff questions Bobby. Ooh, sorry, Bobby questions Bobby on managing. Bobby interrupts him, saying there's a difference between coaching and managing. Do you yeah. remember how Bobby differentiated the two? No, not at this point. No. Okay. The Bischoff sends us to another video pack. Uh, video package of Hulk Hogan. Here's your Hogan video package. Right, go ahead. I guess. Yeah, I don't remember if we. I don't think we talked much about it last week. Cause I think we were kind of confused on. Um, parts well, I was, and I said I told all my thoughts. Okay. To, do you feel like Hogan? They showed this video package and made Hogan out as like a heel. No this video package. No. Okay. Did you? The, re- the reason why I ask is Kevin Sullivan said in this podcast, or MSL question, or you know Kevin Sullivan about this, and originally obviously Hogan was punning coming back as a face. And Sullivan had these video packages just to kind of, I guess people would pick up on the subtleties of possibly Hogan turning heel later on. I don't know. To be honest, I think that's revisionist history. I think that's him being like, I knew all along. Yeah, I don't know. But I guess to me it was interesting. You know, I kind of liked seeing the Hogan video package and all that, I guess. Well, this has always been me uh, not really liking the popular face or the time and all that. But, you know, because it's like that, you know, we see Hogan doing a lot of posing, battling fat dudes like Vader, One Man Gang, Dominion Flair and Sullivan, who aren't fat guys. And, <laughs> and using chair shots on the Giant and all that. I guess is I wasn't a big fan of seeing Hogan do cheap shots like that to the Giant. But whatever, that's just my personal taste. Right on. Jim Duggan tried to hit Regal with a well, board they're, they're not be- a half hour later, they're best, earlier. They're best friends, so I guess it makes yeah. sense. Right, right. The Bishop told us that Hogan will be at the Hog Wild pay-per-view in, uh, in August. Oh, okay, cool. So a few pay-per-views down that we won't be reviewing. <laughs> yep. Well, probably maybe later on in the future, but not in the series. Yeah, not this time, yep. Then we get our next match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Ice train. Take it on, the world heavyweight champion of world championship wrestling. The I have giant. A que- I have a question for you. Yes. Do you feel the chill in the air? Because the ice train is coming. All aboard! Well, it 
did feel a little cool in the apartment, but in the main <laughs> event side of studios north, but okay. Well, that's what Ice Train said. Okay, I wanted to ask you more about Ice Train because I don't think we really talked much about him yet on the podcast. I know absolutely nothing about the Ice Train. <laughs> Fair enough. Except that I loved him again in 1996. I remember watching, I, I don't know why I was up at my grandma's house. It seemed a lot uh, Saturday mornings and I'd watch Worldwide and it seemed at this time ton of ice train matches, ton of high voltage matches, hence why I love ice train and high voltage. And uh, I, as I mentioned last week on the podcast, I love seeing the giant wearing the World Heavyweight title around <laughs> his waist. I feel like that made him look a lot scarier. Right on. And he's got the strap master Jimmy Hart right next to him. Then at the start of the match, it's like Jimmy Hart tried to, uh, try to derail the train by tripping him. Yep, he distracted him right right as the match began here. Yeah, giving the giant the early distraction, as with giving you the advantage of calling the match. Well, it gave him the early, middle, and final distraction because he distracts him, then he gets the choke slam, and he's done. Match over. The winner, the giant, at ready this match, choke slam. <laughs> yeah, this one's a dud for me just because all it is is one choke slam. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'll rate it a dud too. Why not? Since you know, anyways, I like matches. Anyways, I like matches like this. You know, I guess Ice Train seemed to be like a jobber in this match. And uh, oh, I am offended. I am offended. A well, jobber. Ice Train should go join the Duke you know, Duchess of Dorchester, Beverly Hills. You, you do know that in two weeks he's facing. Oh, the Steiners at the, at the pay-per-view, right? So I don't think he's a jobber. Whatever, Beverly Hills. I don't like to ride the two, the cool train, Beverly Hills. Jobber. Anyways. Chris Jericho's a jobber. Bite me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Norton came up, Norton ran out and uh, to protect his uh, yep. teammate, he's and the giant him. walked over and attacked Norton from behind. Talk to him once. But twice. Right. Two choke slams. Then, you know, then right when the giant was leaving, mean Wujin ran down ringside and was t- wanted to uh, talk, wanted to talk to the giant and all that fun stuff. Oh, wait a minute, Norton! Norton said, hey, that match hadn't even started. What are you doing? I'll go back to the locker room with a fair match. One, two, three, right in the middle. And look at this, Norton turns his back on the Giant. And Norton now. No, 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 can't do it, can't do it. He does it again. He has got two of the biggest, most powerful athletes on planet Earth. Not once, but twice, Norton is out. There hasn't been an opponent or a wrestler that has gotten in this man's way that hasn't been chokeslammed. I saw him do it the other day to a skycap. This man will choke slam anybody, any place. These two guys are completely out. out. They've got to feel like they've been hit by a freight train. And the giant, seven foot four, 450 plus pounds, steps over the ring like it's not even there and walks out. He has not even cracked a sweat yet. Scott you? Norton is scheduled to wrestle. Let's hear what the, let's take it. Gino, go ahead. Why? 
Are you running film? Packages on Hulk Hogan. He's not the world heavyweight champion. Wait a minute. I am. I don't want to see any more of Hulk Hogan. I'm the one that eliminated Hulk Hogan is no longer in the picture. Let me tell you, I take it out of sting. Rick Flair, the macho man. And my friend Lex Luger, I'm going to call you my friend because it's on my personal agenda. You're the total package I want to eliminate most. You're in that. You got almost between me and Jimmy. That was a mistake. You get in my territory. You try to take my belt. You can't even carry the ones you got now, let alone the World Heavyweight Championship. Luger, you come and get some. You're mine. All right, I don't think that this guy would ever be called a graduate of charm school, but my, oh my, how he has changed in recent weeks. Gary Bischoff, let's get back to you. All right, we're going to take a break. As you look out at Scott Flash Norton, as he gets stuck, chokeslam not once but twice, he is supposed to wrestle... Hugh Moore's coming up next. We'll find out if he's able to move when we come back. Giant was pretty much saying that, you know, he's the world champion. He's tired of seeing the video packages of Hogan, what he is around. But who is around the world champion, the Giant? Giant said that he's going to take out everybody. They get all the inventors, and he told Luger to come get some. Yeah, which for some reason he's like, Luger is my friend. I'm like, what? What? Why is he his friend? And, but he he quickly went away from that. Yeah, he's like, come get some or whatever. So then we got a commercial. Yeah, because I think the uh, giant said something along the lines of that. Luger's having a tough time carrying around the gold that he has now. And yep. The take, one half of the take straps and the TV title strap. And he won't be able to carry around the world title strap that, it, that belongs to the giant. Right on. Who's the U.S. champ at this point? Uh, Conan? Yeah, cool. Oh man. God, God! We haven't seen him at all, and he's the U.S. champion, huh? Yeah, I'm surprised at that. Too. That's weird. We'll That's d- weird. We'll definitely see him in two weeks at the bash. Right on. Yep. But, yeah, we go to a commercial, like you said. We come back, and Norton's still laying in the ring. Then uh, yep. the Dungeon of Doom theme song plays, and No Laughing Matter. Hugh Morris comes down. It was kind of his cool. eyebrows are insane. Okay, tell us about it. They're like they come out of his like normal eyebrows, and then they curl up. And they look like little horns. It's so weird. I don't get how the laughing man equals like weird eyebrows, but whatever. So yeah, uh, Hugh Morris comes down, sneaks and kind of laughs and all that, hits a leg drop, and tries to cover Norton, but only gets a one count. With one finger, yeah. he tries to cover. Or he gets a two count uh, and all that. I'll kick it to you and let you describe what's going on. Yeah, after he hit that leg drop, he pinned him with one finger, but he picked it up at two because he wanted to hurt him some more. So he hit a bunch of uh, elbow drops and was yelling at him to get up. And that's <laughs> Bischoff's like, oh, <laughs> I think Scott Norton's having a mild seizure. <laughs> like, oh, Bischoff. <laughs> so uh, Hugh's going to finish him off with the no laughing matter. He goes uh, the moonsault, if you don't know what the no laughing matter is. He uh, goes up top, and here's where I think we get a little wonky, because I think what was supposed to happen is he was supposed to flip into a power slam, but Norton kind of drops him, so he kind of just did like a body press and like fell, Um, but then Norton hit a a few kind of clubbing forearms to him 
uh, covered him with a choke and got the pin. So the winner is Scott Flash Norton. I rated this match one star, but I don't know if I think that's a little too high, Beverly. It's your rating, man. I want to. I'll take that star back. Save it for later. I rate this match Dave Milter's famous dud. I want half star. Again, not a lot there. Yeah. Then we uh, go to a commercial. We see uh, WCW Magazine June 1996 commercial with uh, Giant on the cover. And yep, I wish I could. Last week. I, I wish I could uh, get go to my newsstands now and get my <laughs> copy. Right on. Then we come yep. back and we see a video package of Kevin Green and Mago McMichael again. Yeah. And then uh, testing out the ropes in the mat, and <laughs> and I guess what according to them the ring is sixteen by sixteen. Yep, that's the WCW ring. Then the uh, I guess then they talked about getting Macho in as their coach or wanting well, to get Macho here, as their coach. Here are my notes. Here I'll just read my notes. So first, Kevin Green has a rat tail. Then Mongo is at this whiteboard, right? And they're just drawing over this freaking whiteboard. Mongo wants to watch out for the signature moves. Kevin Green just basically keeps talking about football. He's like, because Mongo's like, well, we got to keep him in our corner. And Kevin Green's like, no, penetration. We got to get to the other side. It's like goal line, man. And while he's doing it, he's eating Slim Jims. And he's just like totally confused. I, I and, guess a good foreshadow on on who they want to get as their coach. Right, exactly. Because Mongo's like, man, you're confused. You just don't know what's up. We need a coach, man. We need a coach. And then Kevin Green looks at his Slim Jim, and and then he looks at Mongo, and Mongo's like, are you thinking what I'm thinking, man? And then Kevin Green goes, do you have the phone number, baby? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they wanted to, or trying to get Macho Man as their coach. Right on. And they ran off to see if they can get a hold of him. And yeah. because of this, I have to grab my Dusty Woods Mill Yellow, baby. Because I have to say this is... The mid event of the night, Daddy. Yes, it is. Yep. Stutterized. 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 So and this is, is when I realized that basically Steinerized and Man Called Sting are basically the same song. I because think, I. Sorry, go ahead. Well, the week before with Sting and Scotty, I got confused on whose theme song was playing. <laughs> Right. Well, because Stein, the Steiners came out to Steinerized, and then all of, I was like kind of singing Steinerized in my head, and then all of a sudden I heard, he's, he's doing cool and the cocky, he knows what to do. And I'm like, oh shit, it's a man called Sting now. Like, <laughs> when did it switch? It's like the exact same song instead of Steinerized. It goes, man called Sting. <laughs> so the main event match is for the WCW Tag Team Championships. The Steiner brothers, the challengers, Rick and Scott, take on the champions, Stan and Lex Luger. Right on. I guess. And uh, when Luger and Sting come out, they alternate. Luger goes, yeah. Then Sting goes, yeah. And then Luger flexes and he goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get your thoughts. On last week when Luger came out and defended the TV title, he only wore the TV title. And this week, Luger only wore the take team title. What's your thoughts on champions not carrying all their titles? Or their uh, title in their segments? 
I, I, I don't know. I guess it would. Well, he was only defending the ta- the TV title, so that would make sense there. But I don't know. Uh, okay, I guess that's. Kind I of, guess I think he should probably have him with him. But well, at least the announcers were mentioning that you know he's holding both titles. At, at least people know that he is a co-holder of the tag titles and the holder of the TV title. Yeah. So at, at least the viewers know about that. So I guess that's just me being a quirky on that. So then. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't take any notes of when Machman was on the on the line. But do you have any notes of Machman talking to Bischoff and Heenan? Um, just that Heenan is trying to get him to stop to not be the coach because he's afraid of Macho that he'd be too close to him. So he's like, "Come on, come on, Macho, we're friends, right?" Uh, yeah. So in the ring, though, Scott's really in control. This one just has a ton of moves, just a lot of, um, a lot of suplexes from the Steiners. Scott hit a, hit a tiger driver and an overhead suplex from the top rope as we're going to commercial, like as it's fading out. So you don't even see it. I'm like, whoa, that would maybe be something we'd want to look at. Um, a good tease, I guess, to stay through the commercial. I guess, but when we come back into the commercial, Rick Steiner's working on Luger's arm. Yeah. So <laughs> we didn't see it. Um, but Rick Steiner really strung together some awesome moves. He hit a top rope belly to belly and then a top rope bulldog. Which looked awesome. Yeah, and I was just like, holy poop on that one. That was awesome. Um, so Sting was able to get the Scorpion... Uh, Deathlock on, but it's broken up, um, and things just kind of break down for a little bit. Uh, Scotty hit a Frankensteiner from the top, which is scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And then Bobby was like, "He didn't spike him enough. He didn't hit his head hard <laughs> enough on the mat." I'm like, "No, I think he did it just enough. I don't think I want to see him hit his head even anymore on the mat." Um, yeah, I guess yeah. That's why I said it looked scary, you know, doing that from the top rope and all that because things could right. go a little not so well. But <laughs> right on, yep, yep. So Luger was able to hit a power slam uh, on Scott, and he even got him up in the torture rack, but Rick broke it up. Um, yeah, and this is to be honest, this one was hard to keep track of. Um, there was a ton going on. It was really fast paced. Um, it ends with you know a, a melee. Uh, all guys, all four guys in the ring, uh, and then they're they're outside. Giant comes out and he kind of sort of choke slams Rick on the on the ramp. He kind of slips as he's doing it. Well, I was to say, wouldn't that kind of hurt though to do take that on the floor? Well, it was on the carpet, but Still. yeah, I suppose. Um, and as he gets to the ring, then we get our DQ. He goozles Luger like he's going to put him up for the choke slam, but uh, Luger fights out and he clotheslines Giant to the ropes. And then Giant goes nuts and he throws chairs into the ring. So, yes. Uh, how, how do you. So the winner is what? Probably no contest? Yep, that, yeah, that's a double DQ. Then, uh, or something. Uh, how do you rate this match, Beverly Hills? I'm going. Whoops, I'm going two and three quarters on this one. I was going to say, I was probably say two stars for the, for this match. I felt like the Steiners and Steven Luger, I felt like meshed really well up to Alice the ending. And I really liked, yeah, the, before the, when the match was about to end, you know, that 
Yeah, Sting hit the death drop out of nowhere, and the fans popping, and Luger able to rack uh, Scotty and all that. And I just loved how the match was pretty much broke down in a all-out brawl, and Giant coming down and doing his damage and all that, and taking three guys to pretty much fight off the Giant. Rock on. So yeah, I was when the Giant or pretty right right at the end. We kick it back to Bischoff and Bobby at the up at, at their announcer's table up by the uh, up by the stage and all that and. They were just chatting and all that, and Bischoff. They're kind of wrapping up the show, kind of wrapping up the show. Yeah, then uh, Bobby was uh, talking about that he doesn't want uh, Macho as, you know, to come in and coach and all that, kind of freaking out and all that fun stuff. Then, uh, I guess, yeah, then, then what happens? Razor Ramon shows back up. Mm-hmm. Man alive, Lex Luger, make no mistake about it. That man looking forward to June 16th only on pay-per-view. And what a night. Don't go anywhere. It is not over yet. What a night we have had here. We've got a Hand new that, coach. Mike. Yeah, forget about it. We're not using it. Randy, will you listen to me? This means the world to me. You can have it. You can have it. It's yours. Don't come to ringside. Please, can you just understand it? What are you smiling about? This isn't a funny situation you've gotten myself into. Or I I've gotten you, you into anything. I mean, anything. you know who's gotten him. I and mean, you didn't give me anything. No, you got but, yourself into well, this I one, Well, I mean, I didn't know the man was going to have a psychopath across the ring. I'll get you two of these with your own name on it. I'll do anything you want. How about dinner? It's on me. Hey, wait. Wait a minute. I'm getting out of here. Wait a minute. Not again. Not again. Look, you hit. You hit. Man. Just relax, Chico. Yo, Kendall. I have such a good time last week that I came back for more. Look, there's look, no man, reason. Look, man, look, look, look. Relax, man, relax. You started it. You want to go to war? You got a war. You started it. We going to finish it. What do you mean, we? You're coming up with this we you know stuff who, again. Man. I don't see You know anybody. who. Hey, did Daddy Warbucks, he get his money yet? Hey. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Singer. Wait a minute, Singer. Not here, not now. Look, don't even dignify it, man. You came out here last week and said some real horrible things about WCW. Some real horrible things about the Hulkster, about Macho Man, about the Stinger. Somewhere along the way, you got lost because you have any idea where you are? You're in the jungle, baby! This is WCW! That's right! Hold on! And every week you come out here, you say you want three of the best the that's right that's right man three of the best man three of the best. three of the best you are three of the best i don't see two with you all i see is you and me so why don't we just do this one-on-one right here right now yo yo you want to fight man you want to fight you got one only nobody tells me what to do and Chico nobody tells me when to do it wait a minute 
Okay, okay, tough guy. I got a little, no. I got a big surprise for you next week. Then, the man uh, we know as Razor Ramon, yes. yes. Then uh, he grabbed the mic and he said that he had a fun time last week and he came back <laughs> this week for more. Yeah, and he kind of did this, kind of repeated his promo, you know, the you want a war, you got a war, yada, yada. Then Bischoff asked who we are. Then Sting came over and challenged Hall to a fight right then and there. Hall and, did the scared fingers twice. <laughs> and Hall said, you don't tell me what to do. And you don't tell me when to do it. Yep. And I liked it when Sting goes, are you lost? <laughs> and then Howell was saying that, yeah, he wants to, you know, fight, but doesn't want to take it, you know, in the streets. He doesn't want right. to take it to the dirt sheets. He wants to do it in the ring where it matters, which I appreciated and all that. Then, yeah, Sting was asking him, you know, Sting said, you know, you don't have three. I don't have three. Just you and me. Let's just go to the ring and do this right now. And that's when, yeah. You don't tell me what when to what to do. Yeah. You don't tell me when to do it, which I like and all that. The Howell said that he has a big surprise the next week, and walked off. Yep, yep. Well, he to- well he toothpicked him, stare- scared fingers, slapped from Sting. Then Hall goes, "I have a big surprise for you next week," and he left. I felt like this was a great uh, cliffhanger for the next week. I'm. <laughs> I'm excited to see what what will happen next week and all, and I'm happy to. I'm excited to review the go home edition to the Great American Bash, you know, next week on Nitro. Right, and I mean, great use of a 45 second promo. You know, it's like you don't need to expose everybody for you know 20 minutes at a time. Hall didn't need to come out and. Uh, you know, jabber on for a long time. He got in, got out, made his message clear. We we advanced it. He didn't just say the same thing. We advanced it by bringing Sting in and saying that he has this surprise for next week. So pretty well done. So let's take a quick break for we can catch our breath, and we'll be, we'll be back with our conclusion to the podcast. We'll be right, right back. On. Priority in this in Yapapai Indian strap match is to have the flexibility of 
wrist that you strap to your opponent with, brother. And then I will say, mouth of the Mankato, Jimmy Wolfrack at ringside, give me a papaya Indian punishment strap. Number one. I hear you beg for mercy, dirty fire. That's what I'll call the strap master, Jimmy Wolfrack, for your papaya Indian strapping number two. I see the raw pink meat on your back, brother. I'll take it to another level. Transform from Hulk Hills to Hollywood Hulk Hills. I will double strap you with both fists and you'll scream to the heavens, please Hollywood, don't hurt me anymore. And I will never stop. We are back for the thrillingest of thrilling conclusions here on Main Event Status Radio. I, of course, am Mr. Beverly Hills. He, of course, is the Dirty Dog Darcy. Let's do it, man. My jobber has to be the ice train. Tears running down my face. For losing after one move. (laughs) My jobber is Hugh Morris because he he had a guy who was like literally dead in the ring and he couldn't beat him. <laughs> that, that is true. I guess that is no laughing matter. Yeah, you got it, man. I'll do my main eventer since you're taking a swig. My main eventer is Arn Anderson. Uh, looked good in the ring. Was hitting all his moves. Hit that really crisp DDT and spinebuster. And did that great promo where he saves the fact that he looked silly getting wrapped up in the um, wrapped up in the jerseys, saying what's too it's I'm too big. Oh, and by the way, this is a good point for me to put this in. Getting those jerseys off is really hard. Like I know you didn't I know you didn't play football in high school, but like those newer game jerseys they're so tight and when they're on your shoulder pads it's like impossible to get out i remember me and this other guy we probably looked so foolish we were like both like they're over our heads and they're like <laughs> we're we're fighting so we were just like why don't we just help each other so i pulled his off he pulled mine off but yeah they're they are pretty difficult to get off so my main eventer has to be the giant i thought okay like, i thought like Granted, you know, you didn't really like the fact that he squashed one of your favorites, but I thought <laughs> he looked—I thought he looked strong against his with his match against Ice Train, getting his finisher and lights out. I really liked that at the end too. He came down during the mid event, choke slam, somewhat choke slam Rick Steiner on the outside of the ring, and it took three—you know, Steen Luger and Scotty to pretty much take the three of them with his wooden chair or whatever to take out the giant and the back giant off. Yeah, and I mean, I know I gave you garbage for it, but, like, Giant should do that to Ice Train. I know I was giving you crap about saying he was a jobber, but, like, that's the kind of thing that the champion should do. Yeah, that, The and- champion shouldn't be giving Ice Train anything. Yeah, and I... Like, and take I, him out, get out of there, and he did a good job, like you said. And I thought WCW, at least for these two weeks, are doing a decent job with the Giant. Yeah, I mean, like, in some cases, it's hard hard for me to say, like, if, 
if you didn't know and if you didn't see that he was wearing the championship, I'm not sure if you'd say, yeah, that guy's being presented as the champion. Fair enough. I'd say either you'd probably say that it's Luger, Sting, or Flair. Uh, I think enough. they're yeah, I, I think they're right now being presented a little higher than him. Okay, how do you um, like to I guess, you know, kinda of throw it back to our the Q and A days. How do you well if you could go back and book at least these two weeks to make Giant look stronger as you see show him as the world champion without the belt, how, how do you do that? Um well I think like having him be on last on the show is a start. And what they did this week was a good job. Um, that first week, last week, it seemed as if he was more like a cog in the Tenta Big Bubba feud, which should definitely not be it. Like, your champion should not be a side player in a lower card feud. But I'm not sure, you know, what else. Like, I think he should just be more, be on more, maybe finish with a promo or something. I don't know. Okay, then uh, I guess kind of tying in with some Q&As, I do have a few questions. I guess what was your thoughts comparing Hall's promo this week compared to the two he pulled last week? I know you said that it's pretty much the same thing, but I felt like he, he have, you know, I guess repeating what he said last week, but I thought he advanced the storyline on teasing us with, you know, there would be a big surprise next week. Yep, that's exactly what I said. Yep, it's, uh, it was perfect. Uh, advance the storyline. If you want to hear my answer, roll back the, the footage about five minutes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I know we, we kind of touched about it a little bit, but about the Horseman Dungeon of Doom friendship feud ship storyline, I guess. Do you feel like storylines like that are tricky, you know, for the viewers and tricky to write for the booker? I don't know. I've never written, written one, but I'd say uh at times they can be tricky to follow but if you do it right everything can be followed i guess anyways i do like like the fact that you know kevin selvin saying that you know you know the two factions of the horsemen even though there really ain't much of a horseman and the dungeon of doom are allies you know allies you know though they're own two groups that they're selvin's trying to help out anderson and flair you know in the promo earlier in the night he said that he respects Flair and Ander- or yeah, Flair Anderson, and, he, and he's doing it for the horseman. Seeing if try to beat respecting uh, Benoit and all that, and try to beat respecting Pillman, and but Pillman left and all that fun stuff. But I, f- I thought it's interesting, but at the same time, it could be kind of tricky at times too. I guess that's why I wanted to get your thoughts about that. Rock on. So we might as well get into the plugs for the podcast, Mister Beverly Hills. All right. You guys, uh, you guys can listen. Yeah, to, go ahead. You guys can listen to us at our website, mideventstatus.com. Again, that's mideventstatus.com. You guys can listen to us at our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash Radio. Again, that's soundcloud.com slash Radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they listen to us on iTunes? You well, there you go. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can search Main Event Status Radio. Uh, please rate, comment, subscribe. We'd re- greatly appreciate it. We want to try to beat Ross apart. As we're tired of his hashtag sauce, the attitude. You guys can interact with us on social media. We're on Facebook. Like us there. Subscribe to us there. 
facebook.com slash main event status radio. Again, that's facebook.com slash main event status radio. Interact with us there. We post the podcast when it's up on there. Interact with us there. You know, talk to us. We want to interact with you on Facebook. Also, we want to interact with you on the Twitter machine. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they talk to you on the Twitter? I am at at Beverly Hills MES. And for me, it's I'm and at, you? at Dirty Dog MES. Again, that's dog as in D-A-W-G at Dirty Dog MES. And since we really didn't talk about it last week with the Nitro Review, but I hope you guys enjoyed two weeks ago our interview with Artie Reynolds. It mm-hmm. came pretty much at the last minute kind of thing. We've been trying to get 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 him on the podcast for a few weeks, and we finally got him on. We had a great time talking to Artie Reynolds, and so that's why you know, we really didn't talk about much about it last week in the podcast, but I'm happy. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I hope you guys are enjoying our on our start to the Great American Bash at the Beach Tour. Rock on. So, for Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Stay dashing, mid-eventers. Stay all night, stay a little longer. Dance all night, dance a little longer. Woo! That was amazing. They should get, you should get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody! That's so good.